Would you pray with me? Lord Christ, we thank you for this, your word that reveals who you are and what you've come to do. We pray that you would give us the humble faith to hear and receive who you are and what you came to do, and that in hearing and receiving through humble faith, we would overflow with the joy that Elizabeth and John and Mary show in this passage. So Lord, come and meet us through the preaching of your word. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock, our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So I was thinking about times when, uh, when your emotions have, have you ever had a time when, when your emotions just overflowed? Like that you just like blurt it out. And it's maybe sometimes easy to think of times when we've done that like in anger or in sorrow. But I want us to think about what's a time when you've been so overjoyed that you just like were praising, right? You were just excited and you couldn't help but say something. It happened to me the last week uh, down in Daytona Beach before we came up here to Grace. Our last week there, um, well, leading up to that, the, the last week, I had this, this couple kept popping into my mind. And they were folks who were not like members. They weren't super regular, but they were kind of irregular. I, like, I knew them enough that I could be thinking about them. But man, I was so busy and I just had so many other things. And they always came to mind when I was doing something else and I couldn't like put it aside to check on them. And I hadn't seen them for like a year and a half since before COVID. And my last Sunday there, after the second service, I walk out of the sanctuary into the lobby and who are the very first two people to meet me, but Mark and Kathy. And they tell me, you know, we've been, we've been with you guys. We've been watching the stream. We've been sticking with you the whole time, but we knew this was your last day. And so we wanted to come. And, and when, when, I, when I saw them, I blurted out, you've made me so happy. Um, I was so happy because I, I was, I mean, it was a kindness of them to do that, to, to be there. And it was also a kindness on God's part because I, I, I felt guilty, right? That I hadn't, I hadn't followed through and, and there they were before me. And I was just, I was just overjoyed in a day of like so many complicated emotions. That was one that stood out as just a sweet moment. And so what's a time like, have you ever had a time like that? And if you, were, if you were gonna look for a time like that, if you were hoping to have a time like that, um, where would you look, right? Like, who would you look to? What would you look to? Would it be people or position or possessions? What would you look to to make your heart so filled with joy that it would overflow in praise? You know, I think many of us are, are anxious and frustrated because so often the things that we look to in our lives to bring us joy, to, uh, to give us the that not, not happiness, not fleeting happiness, but that deep sense of goodness, contentment, rest, that sense of like, all will be well. When we, there's so many things that we look to and anything that we look to that isn't Jesus is ultimately not gonna give us joy, but take it in the long run. If we ask too much of it, if we ask too much of family or career or money or sex or whatever it is, if we, if we require too much from it, it will never be able to deliver. But in this passage, we have this beautiful promise. We see in the example of John and Elizabeth and Mary, we see in the words of the Magnificat, we see just in their example of humble faith, that, that if you have humble faith, if, if you trust in the Lord and you, and you humble yourself before him, in Jesus, in the salvation he brings, we have an unfathomable source 
for joy. When I say unfathomable, I mean a, a source that has no depth. There's no bottom to the joy that we can have through faith in Jesus because of who he is and what he's come to do. So let's look at this passage together. Uh, you can see in John and Elizabeth and Mary that, that they're drawing their joy, that, that being in the presence of Jesus and, and having, having it dawn on them who this Jesus is and what he's come to do is overflowing in their hearts with joy. So you see it, you know, most obviously in John, verse 41 and 44, the baby in Elizabeth's womb, when Mary comes in, he leaps for joy. This is John the Baptist. We know from context, this is the one who came to prepare the way of the Lord. Like his whole reason for existing is to tell people about Jesus. And so when Jesus shows up in his presence, even though he's in the womb, he is jumping, he's bouncing, He's excited about who Jesus is. And Elizabeth, you know, when Mary comes in three times, blessed, 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 she's ecstatic that Mary is there and she says, the fruit of your womb. Blessed, you know, blessed are you that you would come to me. I can't believe my Lord would come to me. You know, she does that thing where sometimes something um, so good or so bad happens, you ask that like rhetorical question, how can this be? No, this, can this really be true, right? You do that rhetorical question thing, and Elizabeth's doing the exact same thing. How can it be that my Lord, the Messiah, the Savior, the one who, uh, you know, we read Psalm 80, the one who's going to bring an end to the, us drinking our tears and will be the one who will shine on us and bring the salvation of God. Elizabeth, by the Holy Spirit, she realizes that this is the Messiah, and she's overflowing with joy. And I actually think it's not just that she... Uh, knows that it's Jesus is the Messiah, the son of David, the Savior King, but there seems to be something more happening here in this passage because if you were to go back to the Old Testament and read 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1 through 19, which I'm sure nobody, that's not a memory verse for anybody, right? But that's the story of David bringing the ark back to Jerusalem. And if you were just to read this story, uh, sort of parallel next to the story of Mary coming to visit Elizabeth, you would find just a couple of interesting parallels. That story takes place in Judah, begins on a house, in a, uh, a house on the hill. David has this rhetorical question. It ha- the, the, the ark remains in this place for three months. When David finally is in the presence of the ark, it specifically says he's rejoicing and leaping for the presence of God. And just to show you that I'm not crazy in seeing these connections, St. Ambrose and many of the church fathers saw these same connections. So I have this quote from Ambrose, which is beautiful. He said, the prophet David danced before the ark. Now what else should we say the ark was but holy Mary? The ark bore within it the tables of the testament, but Mary bore the heir of the same testament. The former ark contained the law, the latter the gospel. The one had the voice of God, the other had the word. So there, Ambrose is seeing, and it seems like Luke wants us to see that Elizabeth doesn't just rejoice because this is the son of David, the human king, but because this is the very son of God. This is God incarnate, God in the flesh, coming to give himself to us by giving himself for us. That, you know, that's the, that's the payoff of the gospel. That's the payoff of the Christian life is we get God, the one who made everything, the one from whom everything good and beautiful and perfect and full of joy, the one who all that stuff comes from, we get him. And that's what Elizabeth is so ecstatic about. My Lord, 
is here. The Son of the Most High, as the angel said to Mary, is here. And so Mary's, Mary's like the new ark, bringing the presence of Jesus, the presence of God, into the life of John and Elizabeth, and indeed into the life of the world. You could also see this joy. Mary shares in that same joy of who Jesus is and what he's come to do. As you look at her song, the Magnificat, look at verse 47. It says, she rejoices in God, my Savior. She's recognizing who this child is and what he's come to do. She recognizes also that she doesn't deserve this gift. She doesn't deserve this grace. She doesn't deserve uh, the joy that's overflowing in her. She's a person of humble estate. She needs a savior. She's a servant. And she's overwhelmed that God would bless her as such a humble person. Verses 49 and 50, she talks about the mercy of God, the faithfulness of God, that it goes on from generation to generation. And like for me, coming from an evangelical background, verse 50 sounds like Mary's altar call to me. She's like, guys, it's not about who you are. It's about who Jesus is. None of us deserve his grace, but he has For generation to generation, he has mercy for you. Anyone, doesn't matter if you live in Mary's day or 10,000 years in the future, if you will fear him, if you'll believe in him, if you'll come to faith in him, he will pour out his mercy on you and he will be faithful to you. You know, there's this song I love. uh, It's called, His Mercy is More. And the first verse goes, What love could remember, no wrongs we had done. Omniscient, all-knowing, he counts not their sum. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. That's what Mary's so excited, so overjoyed about, that this one, the child in her womb, has come to be, we might say, mercy in the flesh, to give his life as a ransom, to be the Savior for his people, to all those who would fear him. He is the one who we read in Hebrews 10 is going to make purification once for all. He's going, to, he's going to do something once for all that we could never do for ourselves and that never has to be done again so that we can be reconciled to God. And then in the second half of the, of the verse, it's not just that we are offered this personal salvation individually, but that we're grafted into this family. We're brought into the church, the, the new family of God, the, the Israel of God, the, the people of God. And you get all these allusions in verses 51 to 55. Uh, she says the strength of his arm, which if you, if you hear that phrase, you might immediately think of the Exodus. When God used the strength of his arm to defeat Pharaoh and deliver the people out of slavery. And now she's saying Jesus is going to do that. He's going to deliver us not from Pharaoh, but from sin and from death and from the devil. There's a new Exodus happening and, and, and the people of God are going to be rescued. He's God... Uh, through this child is going to raise up the lowly and bring down the mighty. He's going to scatter the proud. He's going to keep all his promises. Comes, she comes back again to mercy and faithfulness forever and ever. We've been brought into this family of God through faith. My son, uh, my youngest son, Ari, which if you were at the second service on Baptism Sunday you saw that experience of what it's like to have a two-year-old up here uh, waiting to be baptized. He was, we were the last family to go, and he was like the last one to go. And if you were here, he just cried the entire time. Uh, but he was so excited that because he was now baptized, he got to take communion. Because 
for several weeks beforehand, he had been coming to the altar rail and, and, and putting his hand out. He wanted to take communion. We kept telling him, well, you, in a couple of weeks, you're going to be baptized. In a couple of weeks, you can have communion. He was very aware that he didn't belong, right? That everybody else was getting to do something and he wasn't getting to participate in it. And so at, the week after he was baptized, my family normally sits over in the transept. Uh, when it was time for everyone to stand up, he like shot out. Like he, he ran up here. And he got down on his knees, and his little hand is barely, his arm's barely long enough for his hand to get over that rail. But he was beaming, and he was like, communion! <laughs> right? And he got to take communion. Every time he takes communion, he has such a, a, a glow on his face. He's so happy that he finally gets to be part of what we get to be part of. Now, do I know a thousand times more about the ins and outs of what God has done and the economic of, you know, the, the economy of God and, and the plan of redemption and all that? Yes, yeah, totally. But I'm not sure I have 1% of the joy that he does in knowing that God loves him and that he's part of the family of God. It's so beautiful. And Jesus, he encourages, right? right? He admonishes us to have faith like a child. To have faith like a child. Mary singing this song and John leaping in the womb and Elizabeth expressing her blessing on Mary. It's, it's just such a beautiful picture of joy. And if we want to receive it, we have to be more like a child. And that's, and that's kind of the last part of the sermon. How can we receive this joy? You know, we're talking about all these things that, that God has done through Jesus. We're talking about who Jesus is, is God of God, light of light, true God of true God, begotten, not made of one being with the Father, coming to give himself for our sins and to give himself to us. How can we how can we plug in, right? How can we tap into that joy? And there's two things that I think this passage highlights. The first one is faith, and I've already mentioned that multiple times. But it, if, it's kind of interesting. If you read Luke chapter 1, uh, the, the story of Mary going to Elizabeth's house, house is kind of dropped down in the middle of, of, a, of another story that, that an angel came to a man named Zechariah and said, your wife is going to have a child. And he said, how can this be? We're very old. My wife's been barren her entire life. How can it possibly be that we would have a child? And, and listen to what the angel says to him. This is Luke chapter 1, verse 20. Behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And now listen to what Elizabeth said about Mary. <clears throat> Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment, same word, of what was spoken to her from the Lord. There's a, there's a strong contrast between Zechariah's lack of faith and Mary. I mean, just think about that. Zechariah, the priest who's on duty, meets an angel and doesn't have faith. Mary, an insignificant person, a woman in her day, right? Uh, pr probably not well off not an important person by any, any stretch of the imagination. The angel comes to her and she believes that God's word is true. So there's a strong emphasis on faith, that we trust God, that we, um, that we receive all that he is and receive all that he's done, and we admit that we need his grace. But then there's also, I think, an emphasis on humility. And you might just say that that's a, it, it kind of, what type of faith, right? Because you can just have faith that's general, kind of Pollyanna, I think everything's going to work out kind of faith. And you can also have faith that it's actually kind of masquerading as you telling God what he ought to do for you, right? But this is, 
humble faith that we are being encouraged to exhibit. Uh, notice, right, in John and Elizabeth, there's nothing in John as an as a infant in the womb that makes him be able to know and understand who Jesus is. It's completely a gift of God. It's completely a work of the Holy Spirit. And, and the same is true with Elizabeth. It says that the Holy Spirit filled her, revealed these things to her. It wasn't something in her. It wasn't something she did. It wasn't something she deserved. It was just a gift from God. And so there's humility in the sense of dependence on the Holy Spirit. But there's also humility um, in the actions of the people. You know, I mean, think about what if you were Elizabeth? An angel came to your husband and you're, you're very old and you've never been able to have children. An angel comes to your husband and says, you're finally going to be able to have a child. And then your little cousin Mary shows up. She's got, a, she's got a story about a miraculous pregnancy as well. It's kind of like somebody announcing they're pregnant at your baby shower, right? <laughs> but she isn't put out by it, right? She's not snarky. She's not passive aggressive. She's overwhelmed. She's so excited. Blessed, blessed, blessed are you, Mary, and is the fruit of your womb. So she, she models that humility, thinking of herself less. And then Mary, you know, she, Mary says... Um, she calls herself God's servant. She calls Jesus, or she calls, uh, yeah, she calls Jesus her savior. She recognizes she needs a savior. She talks about twice in the Magnificat how God responds to those who are humble. There's a, a strong emphasis on humility. And so I wonder, as we seek joy in Jesus and seek joy in all that he has done for us, if, if maybe the speed bump is a lack of humility, I think that's probably true for me. I think it's, it's pretty easy to think you know what's best for you. In a given situation, you think you know the best way this ought to turn out, to be frustrated when God doesn't comply. It's pretty, it's pretty easy to, to think my vision for my life, my goals for my life, my desires that I have are basically right, and if, they, if God would just meet them, I would have the joy that they're, they have here, John, Elizabeth, and Mary. But isn't that, isn't, that, isn't that really just pride? Aren't you just telling God how to do his job at that point? So maybe the, maybe the problem is that we don't have humility. You know, I got a lot of kids, so I watch a, watch a lot of Pixar, a lot of Disney movies. You guys seen Ratatouille? Remember this, the very end of the movie, Anton Ego, which is a great name, Ego is his name, um, the, the restaurant critic, comes to the restaurant, and uh, you know this is the big day that they've been preparing for. His review is going to make or break the restaurant one way or the other, and spoiler alert, uh, if you haven't seen the movie, the, the chef that's behind the, the resurgence of this restaurant is a rat, okay? And uh, Ego doesn't know that yet. And, and the chefs are in the kitchen, asking the little rat, Remy, what he's going to make for Anton Ego, this, the person who's going to make or break their future. And he doesn't decide to make the most lavish, um, unbelievable ingredients, crazy, um, you know, rich food. He decides to make ratatouille, right, which is just a vegetable souffle. And the other chefs are like, are you kidding me? You can't make that? The, the, you have to make something that's going to impress him, right? And one of them even says, that's a peasant dish. How could you make that? And he's like, you know, he doesn't talk, but he's the, the rat. It's resolute. This is what we're making. 
So they make it and they serve it to him and they actually serve it to another. There's another person there in the restaurant who, who eats it as well. And, they, and they t- at first, Ego looks at it like, are you guys kidding me? You know, it's like if he went to a five-star restaurant and someone laid a Taco Bell taco before him. Like he just can't believe that that, you know, in the right scenario, that's appropriate, but not here, right? But then he's like, okay, fine, I'll take a bite. And he takes a bite and it's like life-changing. He flashes back to his childhood when, when food wasn't a job and food wasn't a way to like make himself feel important or powerful and it wasn't a way to like judge other people. It was just the love of his mom making him something that he loved to eat and he was transported back in that moment. And so here's the analogy. Are we sometimes like ego sitting at God's table saying, God, you ought to serve me this. You ought to give me that. You ought to give me this thing. You ought to do this in my life. You ought to fix this problem or you, whatever it might be. Because if, if, if I'm right and that humility is kind of the missing link, it, it, it makes sense because how could you receive the one who we, we sing and we celebrate that leaves his throne on high and comes and is born in a manger and who says, I come not to be served but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. Of course, if we don't have humility, we can't receive the joy of this humble king, right? But we see it in John, we see it in Mary, we see it in Elizabeth, and the scriptures encourage us to have that same humble faith. So let me leave you with this. This is, a, this is a, um, an, an illustration from, from Calvin, John Calvin. He talks about the mountains. He says, when the rain comes and the, and the, and the mountains, uh, the rain falls on the mountains, it all comes down into the valley, right? And the valleys are filled with moisture and they're lush and they, they grow and they overflow with bounty and goodness while the peaks remain dry and barren. And so he says, let that man therefore, who is desirous to receive of the heavenly rain of God's grace, become a valley. Brothers and sisters, let's become valleys this Christmas. Let's humble ourselves before the Lord so that we can receive all this goodness of who Jesus is and what he's come to do for us. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I'm always so mindful when I preach a sermon like this that it's way easier to say this than to actually be like this in my own life. So humble me. Humble us. Make us again maybe as we were when we first heard about you and first met you, make us again so amazed at who you are and what you've done for us and how you desire, as St. Paul says, to, to lavish us with the riches of kindness. So Holy Spirit, be at work in us. Give us humble faith to receive this unfathomable joy in Jesus. Amen.